Um, so one thing uh, you probably don't know about me, uh, there was a time in my life when I actually thought I was pretty cool. Um, I has long since passed. My pants are a properly fitting adult khakis. Um, I have no tight jeans. I, uh, I've wanted a minivan for a good 15 years of my life. So I have really given up most of my life of wanting that. About all I have going for me is a beard and that is just normal now. Spencer, everybody has beards. It's just a thing now. Like I feel like I can't go anywhere where there's not a beard. But there was a time when I had a little window where I thought I still had it. Um, growing up, I, I grew up in Florida. I'm a multi-generational Floridian, and I grew up near the beach. And part of my vision of what coolness was, of everything that I wanted in my life was a Jeep. I mean, I remember seeing those growing up. I mean, there were some of my neighbors that didn't even own a top for their Jeep. I, I, what kind of life is that? It seems like the dream life. Like, they didn't even have to put a roof on their car ever. And so I remember growing up and just begging my mom for a Jeep. Like, that was the car I wanted. And I remember the day she squashed all of my dreams and told me that I could have a Jeep, but all of my friends would have to wear helmets all the time in it. <laughs> all of the coolness of the Jeep could not possibly overcome this, nor could we afford a Jeep. I ended up with a Hyundai XL GLS. It was 1986, really fine car. It was exactly like a Jeep, except that the windows didn't roll down and there was no air conditioning. So um, pretty one on that one. But I just, I wanted it. I had always had the vision. So finally, I remember in my, uh, you know, I finally had a job, single, and the day finally came when I got a Jeep. And it felt like all of my dreams have been fulfilled. I actually have a picture right now of how cool we were and the dream. This is how we drove around all of the time. I mean, we didn't even have to put hands on the steering wheel. Like, we just raised our hands out of it. These are some of my high school friends. And we would just, I remember taking them to the beach all the time. I, we rarely put the top up. It was so great. Joey in the backseat does not look enthused. I don't know what his problem is. He probably didn't realize he was in a Jeep, I guess. But, um, but it was just like so great. But then there came a time when I was uh, dating Rachel and a good portion of I think of the reason Rachel even said yes when I asked her to go out was because of the Jeep. She kind of had a thing for Jeeps and guys with Jeeps. And uh, it was weird. Sometimes she would just take the Jeep out and not me, but I don't like to think about it very often. Um, but there came a time when I had to sort of decide between Rachel or the Jeep. I had made some foolish and practical financial decisions early in life. And it was like, do I keep the house in Rachel? Do I keep the Jeep? And I tell you, it was a tough one, but uh, I won out in the end. No, she was here earlier. I made that joke with her in the room, guys. That's okay. Um, but no, but it was, there was a little bit of a grieving. You know, there's a sacrifice for the greater good of what was happening. But as we moved on, I mean, that was one of the things she really always wanted it. So one day it was her birthday and we finally got another Jeep and our life was fulfilled once again. And we want to make sure everybody knew we had a Jeep. So it was bright yellow. You could not possibly miss the banana coming down the road. Um, but you know, I also found out you can't leave GPS units in it. We lost like three of them before we realized that that's not a smart thing. We don't have a roof on your car. Um, but like we had that, but then the day came when we found out we were pregnant with our first um, child with AJ and we realized it probably wasn't good parenting to drive down I-4 with a vehicle that doesn't have a roof on it. Um, and we had that hard conversation like, do, do we have to get rid of the Jeep? And we, we did, and we made that sacrifice because we, then we have you know, a roof and a SUV or whatever the thing that you have to do and your parents, I, I wanted a minivan, we still don't have it, um, cool. Um, but uh, there was a sacrifice for me, you know? And it's easy when it's for little ones we love. I mean, those were both Rachel for Rachel. I mean, it was like an easy one to decide. For AJ, like we knew for the kids, but in our inner wiring, sacrifice isn't always the easiest thing, is it? To give up something for someone else. I mean, it's a little bit easier when it's someone you love. It's still a little bit torn that's in there. But when we start talking about having to do that for maybe people we don't even like that much, maybe it's our neighbor who has a lot of needs, but they need us. They don't yet know God, or maybe they do, and they just have a lot of needs, and we're called to love our neighbor 
Maybe we're being asked to sacrifice for them, and it's hard to maybe give up some of the things that we want. Or maybe it's that extended family member that is always just needs a little bit more than you have to give, but you know part of it is loving our families and giving for them. There's this kind of inner conflict I think a lot of us have because we're wired in many ways to think about ourselves. Um, Zach said something a couple weeks ago in his sermon that has been ringing true. We've been talking about it a lot. It was a, a quote from a movie where it talked about the ways of nature versus the way of grace. And the way of nature is very inward focused. It's very self-focused. It's focused on happiness, on comfort, on protection. I mean, when you watch the Discovery Channel, animals are not thinking about the other animals very often. They're thinking about chasing that, that gazelle and eating it a lot. Um, but like, it is a very self-preservation mind. And, and, and that's kind of how we're wired. Since the fall, a lot of that has gone away and we really are focused on ourselves and it's a not natural thing. Um, I heard a stat in one of the relationships where we should probably be the most outwardly focused in marriage. Uh, there was a stat that came up that said it's an, on average seven years before you think of the, uh, the spouse more than you think of yourself. And poor Rachel, there are some of us that are outliers of that that make that take a little bit longer, right? Um, but it is not naturally inclined. Like we don't automatically just go in a relationship with someone and start thinking about them more than ourselves all the time, even in the area where we should the most. We're not wired up for that in a lot of ways. But we also know that to follow Jesus, there's more than just showing up. We know that there's a sense of this idea of sacrifice, but we know it's not just a, a, a life of self-denial, a life of no's, a life of just uh, of ending or just showing up or checking boxes. I, I really believe like in our deepest recesses, when we're quiet, when we're still, when we really think about it, what drew us to Jesus or what is even making us question is Jesus who he says he is. If we're asking that question now is that there's something more there. We've seen life, we hear an offer of life and life to the full. There's an image of a full, exciting, vibrant life. And life isn't just a checkbox. Life isn't just a matter of denying that's something there. It's about life and about purpose. It's about a call to follow Jesus and become more like him. Um, but there's also this verse in, in Matthew 16, 24, it says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus, who the one that we're supposed to be more and more like, says there's a piece of it where we have to sacrifice, where we have to give up some to follow him. He gave up his power, his title, everything to come to the world to provide a way back to him. And we're supposed to model our lives after that. So what does this new life look like and require? And how do we live our life fully and on mission with God? Uh, today, we're going to wrap up the series we're in called Now You Know, where we've been looking at this idea of our head, our hearts, and our hands. We've talked about having our minds focused on God so we can know enough to care, that we're so focused on him that we would know the things that God cares about and that we would learn enough so that we can care about the issues that he cares about in the world around us. And then we've talked about our hearts, that we need to have our hearts stirred both for the people that he is calling us to, that our hearts were stirred by him, but also to be stirred by the people that God calls us to, that we'd be able to receive back that stirring from him. I love the imagery that Jim gave us last week in that. And today we're going to be talking about what it means for our hands, our bodies, our lives to be offered to him so that we can be used by God. Uh, we've been walking through this passage together, and I'm going to follow in Jim's tradition. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able and to read along this passage in Romans that we've been doing together. So if you would read aloud with me Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to detest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is God's word. You may have a seat. 
this verse in Romans is the hinge that Romans pivots on. Um, a couple summers ago, we studied Romans together, and we really looked at the first half. And in the first half of Romans, uh, Paul lays out the incredible work that God does on our behalf of sending Jesus for us, of, of rescuing us from a life of death into a life that is full life with him. He paints this beautiful picture of the sacrifice that God made and the invitation that we have into that life. And then in this verse, he starts taking a turn of what then does that life look like lived out with him? And this, this verse here is kind of that pivoted passage where it starts taking that turn in the book. It's a huge piece of what's happening in there. Paul calls the believers in Rome and the Christians everywhere to a full-bodied response. The word here when it talks about bodies, when it talks about offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, is this Greek word somata. And the actual word is physical body. It wasn't this idea of a, of, of a spiritual or anything else. It was an idea of this very physical body offering to God. And so to present our entire beings as a living sacrifice. Now, when we hear that word sacrifice today, it probably doesn't have the same connotations it did 2,000 years ago. When we think about sacrifice now, it's probably more of a maybe folks that have sacrificed uh, for our freedoms. Or you know someone who sacrifices their time and their life to give to those around them. Maybe you get an image of someone who just lives a sacrificial type of life. Uh, or even in, in the little tiny things like the Jeep, you sacrifice something for the sake of others. But when Paul says sacrifice in this context, uh, the minds of the listener would have gone immediately to the altar of the Old Testament. There was a system put in place that was part of the daily lives of the folks that he was talking to, and the altar was a place where sacrifices were given to God, primarily for two purposes. One, for the atonement of sin as a way of paying off the things that had gone wrong to be made right with God, and also to be uh, in, a, in a, a mode of thanksgiving be able to give that as a thanksgiving offering to God and to be thankful for the things that he had given. So they would have come quickly to that. Even the pagans of the time that they had been reading this, there was a system of sacrifice put in place where they would give things of value to appease the gods of the time. So sacrifice altars were a very normal piece of the culture of this time. So um, when things were sacrificed to God, especially on the altar of God, when people would give either for the atonement of sin or for thanksgiving, they were given fully over to its purpose. I actually like this image a lot. When things were placed on the altar, they were given, consumed, so they could be fully used for that purpose. They were no longer owned by the person. They were no longer even there. A lot of times they were burned or given. Um, and so this thing was given fully over to its purpose that it was intended for, the atonement of sin or, or, or of thanksgiving. So when sacrificed by God's people was fully released, so Paul was calling listeners to a sacrificial life, not just a religious or a mental response, but actually their physical life, their bodies, their life that was happening in the very moment that it was there. This would have been a very new idea of giving them and using this imagery for them. In a commentary by McLaren, if you use your phone Bibles or you use your app, oftentimes it'll pop up like opportunities to look at commentaries that are along the scriptures, and they're a great way to learn more. There's, uh, it's amazing what we have in the palm of our hands to be able to learn. Uh, in this one, he notes, he says, the master word for the outward life of a Christian is sacrifice. The master word is sacrifice, which includes two things, self-surrender and surrender to God. So when we talk about the surrender, what exactly does this entail? What do we put on the altar so that we can fully engage the world on mission? And when I think about our lives, our lives are so complicated and they're so busy and there's so much going on. And when I look at you, I even like can see just the, the, the actual stories that I hear from you and all of the things that happen in our lives, and there's so much that's going on. But I think that there are two areas that come up most often when we think about the areas that need to be given over, that need to have the way cleared so that God can use us most fully in the life that he wants for us. And the first one is money. Uh, last week, uh, Jim said something that has rung true. He said that facts, that truth often comes wrapped in emotion. 
You want to know what else comes wrapped in emotion? Money. Um, I can say this statement, and it can have a lot of different meanings. I can say, I have $10. And that might mean you just opened up the dryer and you pulled your jeans out, and there's the $10 bill, and you're like, woohoo, free money. That's going to the fun fund. You're going to use that. It's like that slightly damp bill, but you have not been more excited about a $10 bill in your whole life because that is just like free money from nowhere. It also mean um, I only have $10 and that really cool fondue set at the garage sale is $15 and I'm not going to get to go home with it today and you're really sad. But it can also mean I have $10 and there's two more weeks until the next paycheck comes and I have no idea how I'm going to make it. And I've been there. Uh, I know those sleepless nights and the anxiety. There is wrapped in emotion when we talk about money. It has so many layers beyond just the fact of what it is. And now for some of you, you just realized, um, oh no, I invited my friend this week and now we're talking about money. Um, and, and it's a week where we're going to be focusing on it. It's just a part of it. But I, I would tell you this, I think your friend as well as you want to know what our church thinks about money. Because if you're considering what it means to be a part of our church, it's helpful to know how we think about our lives and how we think about our whole lives and how we think about money here. And if you're new, like I said earlier, uh, nobody asked you here for your money. This isn't that. But we do want you to have a chance to examine uh, what's going on in your life and what does it look like to be able to clear the way for God to be able to use you in your life. And for those of you that aren't yet followers of Jesus, I would say this. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you've come. This is a church where we want you to ask the question. And, and this is the question to ask. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is Jesus actually who he said he is? Because if you can answer that question, if you can get there, and if you can be as honest and raw about that and get into the place to answer that question, and when, if you come to that realization that he is, things change. Things have to change because if he's who he says he is, there's parts of our lives that by the very nature of this will change. Uh, so I'd say wrestle with that question first and, and use this as part of that. I think it'll be a really helpful way. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, generosity, which is really what we're going to be talking about in this first part, generosity will still place you in good standing with the world around you. It's a good thing. And avarice, selfishness, self-centeredness will still drive a wedge between you and others, whether you're, you're a follower of Jesus or not. So I hope you'll lock in with us for this next little bit. Uh, you know, there are more verses in the Bible about money than anything else. That was a stunning thing to find out. And I think this is true because God knows this is a huge part of our life. He knows that this is the number one thing that competes for our attention with him because it's so wired into the core of who we are. He knows it's a thing that we need to survive. It's a part for a long time of how life happens. Um, it comes wrapped in emotion and can cause a lot of joy and pain. There's so much around it. And it's also the leading cause of marital conflict, divorce, pain in extended families, oftentimes brokenness in churches. Uh, this afternoon, Rachel and I are going to uh, be speaking to the, the marriage prep class. Um, and, and I love they've got a few weeks together where they're talking about different er issues as they come up and thinking about getting married. And one of the areas that we talk about is finances because that's a core part of what happens in that relationship. And it can cause pain or it can cause a way to see how God can work in and through the relationship. God cares about what we do with our money because it's a part of our whole body offering to him. It's his money. It's all his. I remember the first time that I learned that. It's something I think I've heard for years and years, but I remember the first time Rachel and I were doing a, a study and, and we heard that and it actually internalized that it was God's. And I remember just the weight that was released in that moment of realizing it's all been his. And he wants us to understand it enough to recognize that and to celebrate that, that it's his to give to us, to know him as a faithful provider in that way and to trust him. Uh, to be able to fully follow God in his mission, uh, to, to his people that he's called us to, we have to be able to sacrifice the things that can hold us back from that. And it may cost us money to accomplish that mission that he lays on our heart. 
uh, one of the things I love about the early church, there's uh, some really beautiful portraits of what it looked like when the church was forming and how they lived it out together. And one of the ones we come back to over and over again is found in Acts. And I want to share with you this morning because it's such a beautiful picture and it's the thing that we strive for as a church even today. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All of the believers were together, had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's such an incredible picture of faithfulness, of the people depending on God and with one another, of generosity of, and of what God's mission looks like lived out on earth. They were together. They were on mission together. This was a group of people that clearly understood God. They had their head in the game. They were focused on him. We see them praying and spending time with one another and focusing on God, being with one another. They were letting their hearts be stirred by the world and the needs around them, and then they acted. We see them selling their property and giving it to the world as they had need. And the result of all that was that people were being saved daily. People were so attracted to this. They saw such an incredible image of what God's people looked like on earth that they were drawn to it. Uh, this would have been stunning to the world around them. It would just looked so different than what was going on. And today, 2,000 years later, it still looks different. When there's groups of people that think more about those around them and more about God than of themselves, it is such a beautiful thing. And, and people are attracted to that because that's not how the way the world is wired. That's not what is seen. It's not what you see every day when you get up and watch TV and see the commercials and go to work. This is not a normal part of our life to see people care about other people in that way. It stands out. You know, we're still invited to that response today, uh, to say the same thing to the world around us, to give faithfully and generously to the work and the people that God cares about. It's part of what a full-bodied response looks like. Um, one of the things I love about our community at Summit is that every year, uh, we give away 15% of every dollar that comes in. So when you give, 15% uh, of that goes out the door to God-honoring work that's happening in the world. Uh, and this last year, what's really humbling about that is that God trusted us with over a half a million dollars to give away to the work that's going on in the world. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of change. And, and the things that happen in that because you're faithful, because you show up, because of what we get to do as a church. Um, we saw vulnerable children cared for in East Africa. Uh, we, we saw churches planted in the developing world. Uh, we got to see partnerships with nonprofits doing Christ-honoring work for their, both in our backyard as well as across the globe. We got to see victims of sex trafficking lovingly cared for and restored, coming out of really hard places. We got to see food sustainability, economic viability, AIDS care happen for the most vulnerable. We got to see dozens of missionaries supported as they serve across the globe in places where God is already at work. Because you show up and give, because you place your whole body as a sacrifice as a church, as a community together, people's lives are changed. God's mission to the world continues on, much like in that early picture that we showed, it happens today when we continue to do this together. And the thing that's amazing is you get to be a part. God invites us into that still today. I, I am continually floored by this, that God would invite us in all of the different ways to be a part of his mission to the world. Um, he could do a lot of different things, and he chooses to use us. And uh, when I spend enough time to really get there, especially in, in times like this, I am just um, really floored. And, and it's hard for me to even come up 
uh, with the words because it is just humbling to be able to be used by a God that's that big that still uses us in our little moments in our everyday lives. If you're wondering what this looks like on a personal level, what does it look like to have this whole-bodied response? What does it look like uh, to be generous and to give towards him? Uh, what does it mean to sacrifice your money, to clear the way for God to move in and through you? The scriptures have given us a helpful measure. And, and throughout scriptures, we've heard this. Over, it, it gives us this measure of the tithe, which is 10%, the first 10% given over to him. Um, and it's a measure that is there. It's a helpful measure of what faithfulness looks like to God. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that is incredible about God. He, he doesn't need your money. If he wanted to fund his ministry in other ways, if he wanted to do it, he could. But you know what he does? He invites us in. He continues to invite us in because he wants you. He wants me. He wants us. He wants us more than our money. He wants our hearts, and he knows this is one of the ways that we can get tripped up and miss him in the midst of everything else. And he invites us in, and he continues to do that. He wants to show us his faithfulness uh, to us in this and, and, and for us to also learn the discipline and trust of giving to him. I heard this quote the other day, and some of you may be familiar with it. I think it's something that's been around uh, Summit for a while, but uh, do you know how you become a, a cheerful giver? It's the same way you become a cheerful jogger. Uh, you start. Now, I've never learned how to become a cheerful jogger, um, but I have learned how to become cheerful about going to the gym and my, riding my little exercise bike. Um, it didn't start on the couch, right? It, like, maybe the idea did, but it started by going. And there were days I didn't want to go, but now I, I actually look forward to it. It's amazing what happens when you start the discipline of that. And I think it's the same thing for those of you who love jogging, and I know there's many of you. Um, it is a part of your life, but it started with the first steps. You had to start somewhere. And it's the same thing with giving. Uh, my encouragement for you is this. If, if you aren't yet giving, uh, start. Pick a percentage and start. And if you're not comfortable giving here, that's okay. Give somewhere because God has given you to take care of the needs of the world. It's a good thing. Starting and cultivating a heart for generosity is a good thing. And God wants to use you in that. And, and that percentage, that start, is a way for him to start moving in your life, to start removing some of those things that maybe we cling to a little too tight-handedly so that we can be open to the world of what God is calling to around us. Um, if you're in a place, though, where you need the ministry of the church, maybe you're in a place where finances are hard, let us be the church for you. We actually have ways to do that, and we would love to walk alongside of you because we actually want to see justice and order restored in the world, and that's one of those ways that we can do that. Um, but if you're already giving, maybe God's working on your heart into a season of generosity. Maybe he's saying, there's a, more that I want to do, and maybe that area is still not fully cleared up, and he wants you to be able to move in that so that he can more fully move in your life. I would encourage you to listen for that as well because God wants to be able to remove these things. That's part of what this series is. How do we move out of the way? How do we get so focused in on him and remove the obstacles that are there so that when he calls us to his people, we're ready to move? And I love that he does that and that he's planning this, that we've taken this time to do that as we move into this next season. Uh, the second area that we often need to sacrifice on the altar to allow God to use this on his mission is time. Our time, our time is valuable. And I know time gets more and more valuable the longer you're around. I, I love hearing stories, especially uh, from my parents or grandparents and those of you who have been around, like your time is valuable. You know what it's worth because you have it, it's limited. You don't get more of it. It's one of those things every day is measured and it's something you give in time. So the question is, how do you spend your time? Do you spend your time focusing on God so that your mind can be renewed and transformed? Do you spend time with God for your heart to be stirred by the things that stir for him? Do you give your time away? Um, I think a lot of what this looks like when we talk about getting this out of the way of clearing the way for God to be able to move in our time, how do we give our time as a sacrifice? How do we put it on the altar? So much of it is just showing up, just being present, being present with his people. Uh, there's that quote is attributed to so many people and it's around there that about 80% of success is just showing up. 
and, and I think it's true, when it, it, it rings true because showing up is such a big part of all of this. Um, I, I remember one of the most clearly uh, things that God has used in my life. I, not a flashy person. I, I've never felt like I've had a whole lot to offer him in a lot of ways. But one of the things I think God had called me to for a long time was just being present. And when I first moved here, I was on Young Life staff. And, and my mission was Lake Mary High School, just to meet disinterested kids that didn't go to church and, and get to know them and, and, and know that they, let them know they matter by, through relationship and invite them in. And I remember for six months we'd been going. Uh, four or five nights a week, we were the creepy 23-year-olds hanging out at the basketball games, and people were going, why are you guys here? Like, we just weren't here to hang out. Um, it's a little weird, but trust us, it was for good reason. Um, and we knew the teachers, so we were building this, like, this network. We knew all these adults, but we, just, we only knew a handful of kids. And I just kept praying, God, like, I'm being faithful. Our team is being faithful. We've got people that are working and teaching, and they're showing up. Like, what does this look like? How is this going to play out? And I remember uh, the night. Uh, we'd shown up for probably our 100th sporting event of the year, an after-school thing. Uh, we knew a handful of kids, and we were walking into a basketball game in early December. Uh, we were going to camp later that week, and this guy, Ricky, comes up to me, like, out of the blue, he says, hey, are you OJ? Which is a little weird when, you know, someone does that to you. Sorry if I've ever done that to you. Um, and I said, yeah. He's like, hey, I want to go to camp this weekend. I'm like, oh, well, that would be great, because there's nobody signed up. Um, and so he's like, I want to introduce you to my friends. I'm like, okay. So we walk in, and he introduces us to, like, 30 freshmen. And all of a sudden, we got to meet Joey and Courtney and Dan and Elisha. And like all of a sudden, we're meeting all these kids. And all of them are like, we want to go to camp. Tell us more. And, and as this week goes on, I remember I had to buy my first cell phone. Like you had to go to stores. But Ariel was a thing back then. I don't know. Like I, I still had a pager, I think, at this point. Um, I had to buy a phone so parents could call. Because this week, and by the time we got to the end of the week, 30 kids had signed up for camp. We didn't know any. And we'd taken the camp. And I don't know about all of them, but I know every guy that was in my room that weekend accepted Christ into their life. And I remember being so blown away. I still have a list. I still think about that because it wasn't anything that I did. I showed up. And God used that presence. He used that continual thing to do amazing. And he let me be a part of it. I don't get it. I really don't. Because that is an amazing thing to be a part of, to watch people go from death to life. It was incredible. And we just kept showing up. Here's the thing with God. He wants you, you and me. He wants your life. He wants your time. You know, he can accomplish his means a lot of way. He's God. I don't want us to forget that in the end of all of this, God is God, and he can do this in a lot of ways. But he wants to use you. And where I don't get it is I have a unique opportunity to be able to sit there and veg out and watch Netflix for a long time. I can play video games, get completed. I can turn my brain off and sit in a hammock and not think of anything. I think it's a special part of me. Um, <laughs> but he still patiently sits there and waits for me to show up. He keeps inviting me back in. As many times as I forget, as many times as I waste time, he continues to invite me back in. And when I show up, I get to see him. And to be able to be on mission for God, we have to know when he calls. We have to let our hearts be moved. And then we've got to be able to sacrifice our whole selves, our time, our money, our skills, our presence, to meet the needs of the people he moves us to. We also need to be open-handed with all of this. It's hard to hold on tight when we're open-handed with our stuff, our time and our money, because God's going to call us to some places, and there's going to call us to some people, and there might be some challenges in the midst of this, but he wants us to be able to respond to him. You know, we have to know enough to care, and that's why we spent some time in the beginning of this series, a focus on God, and I, I would love to remind you to do that. Continue your focus on him. If you need to start somewhere, focus on him so that you know enough to have your mind focused on him, to know his voice when he speaks to you. And then you've got to know enough to let that go, that 12 inches to your heart, and to have your heart stirred 
and that you would know his voice when he stirs it so that you know the one who's calling you. Then we have to care enough to act. We have to let our hearts be stirred for those whom God cares about. And then we have to do it. We have to act. We have to surrender ourselves to God, our time, our talents, our treasures, so that he can use us for the world around him. We have to be willing to surrender both individually and as a church. You know, I get to sit on the front lines of this every week. It's such an incredible privilege to be able to do this because I watch every week new people walk through the door. And I see them with a warm welcome by the person at the door. And I see them get a good cup of coffee that someone took time to make. And I see them uh, drop their kids off. And they know that they're going to be cared for and taught well. And they bring their students at night. And they're going to be led well and have their lives shared. I see them walk into the room and have a chance to worship God. And I get a chance to see them walk out and someone say goodbye. And for them to invite their friends back in. Because there's a place where something is happening, where they want to know more. And, and if you're wondering if it matters, it does. Because what you do with your time and your life, it, it all matters. It matters that you show up and you make that coffee. It matters that you give a warm welcome to the door. It all matters. And in case you forget, uh, this week I, I got to watch how it plays out just in the lives of my kids. Um, my two-year-old Maverick, who's a, a boy who I can barely even come up with any words because I'm just so tired from him most of the time. Um, he's going all week long. He's going, how wide, how high, how wide, how high. The, the scripture memory this week was about how long and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ. And he remembered part of it. This is a two-year-old boy because you taught him that. And then my four-year-old Andy is sitting next to him, and, and she's saying to him, um, teaching him about Jesus. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing, Andy? She's like, I'm telling him about Jesus because he needs to know that God loves him. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's you. I mean, I wish I could take credit for this. I, Rachel can, but this is you guys. And then Maverick goes, God loves me. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, this is... But it's all of you. It's not just the base camp teachers, though you do a lot of it. Every one of you to show up and do this and to be able to share that, it matters a great deal. I, I get to watch um, a lot of times college folks or, or young professionals take my high school friends with disabilities to camp. And I watch them physically pick up someone's body and attach them to a swing and then maybe give them the most God-honoring few minutes of their life when they do something adventurous that God had created them to do. And then they take them back down off the swing and they change their clothes and bathe them. And over and over again, they tell them that God cares about them, both through their physical touch and the health and, and in the words they speak to them. It all matters. When we sacrifice our time for the sake of others, when we sacrifice our treasures, when we give it over, it matters. And we may not get to see it. And for some of these things, we may not even get to see it on this side of heaven, but it matters so much. We have a lot of needs here. I mean, it's part of what makes church run. I mean, a lot of this happens. Like I mentioned, all of those things happen. We have a need for volunteers. And, and yes, we want to be able to meet together and encourage one another. But you know, it's not just about us and our needs here. It's not just about our inward mission as a church. We also have to continue to sacrifice our money and time as a church, as a community together. We have to be able to sacrifice for the world around us. The world needs us now as much as ever. And, you know, God has given us plenty to meet the needs of those around us. It's one of the amazing things about God. He continues to show up and offer that to us. You know, as, as a church, we, like I mentioned earlier, we give away 15%. We try to model this faithfulness and generosity as a church for the world around us. Uh, we, as a church, give our time through NICER, through missions, through the places that ask for help, and we try to show up and do that. But, you know, we're going to be called to do even more in this upcoming season. Uh, the world needs us. There are things that are happening that we need to know about, we need to know enough to care about, we need to be able to act, and it's going to be a season of challenge, and I'm excited about it. As some of you might be a little nervous about it, and that's okay too, but uh, there are parts of the world that need us to step in, and there are going to be people that God's going to stir your heart towards that you had no idea mattered. I watched Rachel last week. I, she's been learning um, ASL with a lot of you, and to see her find a table of folks and to start talking to them, I just saw her light up 
She had no idea a year or two ago that this would be something that she cared so deeply about. And, and 10 years ago, I had no idea kids with disabilities. And for some of you, you're going to find out, man, people that have been trafficked, that's my thing. And there's going to be parts of us that are going to be stretched and that God is going to call you to, and we've got to be ready to do that. Um, we're going to be moving into a series on justice. It starts in two weeks. Like I mentioned last week, next week we're going to talk about regroup, and Kaylee's going to be teaching us. And then we're going to be moving into this series on justice in the world. We're going to be looking at what God has to say about justice in the world. Uh, and we're going to be challenged as a church. And again, some of you are going to be challenged individually on who God is calling you to. You're going to need to use your head to think and to see and to focus on the one who loves you and to learn enough to care about the world around you. You'll need your heart to be stirred both for the people that God calls you to and from those he called you to. You're going to have to let them into your lives. And you're going to need your hands, your whole body, to move to action to those whom God moves you to. Now you know. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you continue to use us in your world, that you continue to honor the times when we show up and we move enough out of the way in our lives to listen to you. God, um, it's humbling to be a part of your mission. And Lord, you call every one of us to it. Those who follow you, uh, you lead us to your people. But you care deeply about this creation. You care deeply about this world you put in order. Uh, and you care that there's injustice in it. You care that there's broken systems. You care that there are broken people. And Lord, um, you want to use us in this world. God, I pray that in these coming weeks we learn more about this, that we wouldn't forget this part, that we need to focus on you that we need to know you, that we need to hear your voice and be able to recognize it in the midst of the cacophony that's around us. Lord, we need to let our hearts be open to you and to be stirred both for and from the people who you call us to. Lord, we need to let that knowledge travel into our hearts because you are a God who works in our hearts. And then we need to let our bodies be used as a sacrifice for you. And God, if it's not money or time, though, that's probably a lot of it for us, but if there are other areas in our life that need to be set aside that, that you can work through us, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate those in our lives, that we would be able to see them clearly and that we'd be able to start acting on them so that when the time comes, when our minds are there and when our hearts are stirred and it's time to act, that we'll be able to, that we'll be ready because we know the one who is sending us. Lord, um, continue to show us that you are that God. Lord, thank you for continuing to use us. We pray all this in your son's name this morning. Amen.